listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Hank Hughes, Executive Director of the New Mexico Coalition to End Homelessness, and who also represents District 5 on the Santa Fe County Commission. Hank, welcome to our show. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's it's wonderful to have you here, especially to talk about this this um, issue, I guess, the social construct, the social challenge of homelessness. So let's start with why is homelessness so so widespread, particularly in the United States, when it's not so much a, a larger issue in other developed nations? Why why this country? Well, homelessness is. Um has been a really big problem since 1980, and that's when the United States decided that public housing was not a particularly important investment that we wanted to make. Other developed countries have continued to invest in public housing in a way that we just have not. And so that plus the the, um, fact that we shut down our um, behavioral health hospitals for the most part because mentally ill people didn't need to be locked up, but we never created the community living situations that would be appropriate to them. And so we have now a combination of people who are mentally ill or have severe behavioral health disorders, combined with other people who are just poor or going through a crisis and have no adequate safety net to fall back on. Tell us, tell us a little more. In fact, our former guest on our previous show spoke a little about the behavioral health centers being shut down. Tell us a little more about this, this thinking behind public housing not being so important. Uh, why, you know, really spell it out for us. Why is public housing so important? Well, and I, I think we in the United States have an idea that, that people should work and be able to support themselves and, uh, you know, goes back to, uh, you know, the work ethic of our ancestors and all that and and pioneers and that we're very individualistic, self-sufficient people. And and so I think, you know, we tend to not realize that, that many of us, uh, whether we work or not, are really not able to make ends meet in a way that satisfies all the basic needs. And so public housing, I think, is perhaps actually a fairly easy solution because we're not giving somebody something that can easily be converted into something they can hurt themselves with. It's right. just housing. And I think if we really made a commitment to provide everybody in, with housing, uh, we would actually be all be much better off, uh, including, of course, the people who don't have housing right now, and that it would certainly fill a hole in our society. I, I feel like you know, during the pandemic, the worst part of the pandemic, it wasn't safe to sleep in congregate homeless shelters. And right. so... Not only did homelessness create increase, but we also saw it much more because people were not sleeping in shelters. They were sleeping outside in tents and cars and sleeping bags and doorways. And I think it really illustrated this hole in our 
society, and, and I think we all feel bad about it, not only for the people there, but hopefully because we're feeling like this should not occur in a modern, rich society that we live in. And I, you know, I love the way that you say this should not occur because there's that, that moral judgment. And I think there are some people in this country who believe the opposite, that, well, it, the only reason it occurs is because you have failed, is because you haven't succeeded, because they consider there to be a level playing field for everyone in this country, that there are no stacked dice, there are no easy ways, everyone has equal access to opportunity. But that's not really reality, is it? No, not at all. And in fact, um, you know, interestingly, on the other end, I heard Bill Gates' story about how just because of where he lived and, and who his parents were, he had access to university computers that he could use all night for free. Right. Um, and that got him his start in being, you know, starting Microsoft and, of course, becoming a billionaire, one of the richest men in the world. But he would readily acknowledge that part of that was luck. And on the other end of the scale, some people are very, very unlucky. They may um, be orphaned. They may have one parent who has to get by on two jobs and doesn't have time to look after them. They may go through some very troubling childhood experiences. We call those adverse childhood experiences that mean they may not have the mental fortitude to really deal with the problems of life later on the way someone who doesn't have those experiences. And so there's all these disadvantages that can hold people back. And if we don't try to help those people, they're going to end up homeless. So you mentioned about the, you, you, you started talking about how important it was, how it helps the rest of society to have everyone housed what are the benefits to society of housing everyone who's homeless well there's a, there's a number of benefits and one of them is quite practical it actually costs quite a bit for us to keep someone alive on the streets um, they use emergency rooms and police and fire services at a much greater rate than people who are housed and that costs something um, there's been studies done in many cities including albuquerque that show um, it's about the same cost to keep someone alive on the streets who's disabled as someone to keep that same person housed and provide them social services uh, to make their life better. And so when you look at it that way, why would we not do the humanitarian thing that costs the same as the inhumane thing? Um, I mean, other advantages, I think, are that, you know, who knows who's going to be the brilliant person who uh, discovers the cure for the cancer that we get later on in life. And if we could stop childhood homelessness, you know, maybe that child will grow up to be someone that saves humanity. Maybe they invent the battery technology we need to make our solar panels work. And so we're losing a lot of creativity by allowing people, um, you know, to be not, not able to reach their full potential. You, you mentioned the child who is homeless very often uh, homelessness that people see is the individual who's by the traffic lights with a sign saying god bless please give or often saying army <coughs> veteran and they're they're left to question is this person actually real uh, uh, really homeless or are they not you're talking about a, a different kind of homelessness bringing awareness of children who are homeless can you share a little about that because people often don't see that well and that and that brings up a good point um 
A lot of people who panhandle are not homeless, uh, and they may not be veterans either, regardless of what the sign says. They may or may not be. Um, obviously, they need something if they're standing there with a sign. But most people who are homeless that I have known uh, go to great lengths to not show that they're homeless. In other words, um, some people, when I worked at the shelter, would actually dress up much better than I did to come to work at the shelter huh. when they were leaving. And they would be going off to interview for jobs or whatever, and they would look quite nice. Um, and so there's a lot of hidden homelessness. And then I think, you know, a lot of people who are homeless as adults, their homelessness started as children, the majority of people, either as youth or children, either because they left home uh, because it was just unbearable when they were teenagers or because their families were homeless when they were young. And, and so it's a, a pattern that can get ingrained for all the bad reasons into someone's life. Right. So the, when, you're, when you're talking about the New Mexico coalition to end homelessness, not to reduce homelessness, but to end homelessness, there must have been programs and initiatives that have succeeded that are models that you're looking towards. So can you share any programs that have been most successful in getting people out of homelessness? Yes, there are. I mean, the one thing we've learned over the many years that, that I've been working on this and, and other people is that there are very tried and true ways to end people's homelessness. And one of the most important we call permanent supportive housing, and that is basically the answer to um, what people need who may have been locked up in a mental health institution in prior generations. It's housing that has all the services you need provided, and that can come in several forms. Um, for most people, it might just be a, a housing voucher that lets you live wherever you want in the community and a case manager who comes around and visits you a couple times a week to see what you need. Um, for people who are, are more ill, uh, it might be um, a building that is dedicated solely to people with disabilities and where the services are available around the clock for when you need them. We have uh, um, an example of that in Albuquerque that was just built, and I've seen examples around the country with 24-hour services and, um, you know, uh, a lots of lots of support for people whose mental health is has just deteriorated to the point that they can't really fend for themselves on the outside world without a lot of help. I remember um, when I was talking to Joe from the Interfaith Shelter, Joe of Blessed Memory, and he came on the show, and we were talking about how how there were people who were homeless who were given literally given housing, but didn't want to stay in it because they'd lost a sense of community um, because they had been sent to isolated places. Can you talk a little about that in, in terms of, of, of when you're talking about permanent supportive housing, it's not just bricks and mortar, is it? We're talking about a more sustainable network. Well, right. And, on, and, and in a similar vein, I have had people that I helped get housed who told me that uh, in order to sleep inside, they they first had to sleep out in the yard of the apartment building for a few nights, and then they would sleep right under the window with the cold air, even in the winter, with cold air blowing on them because they they had not slept inside for so long wow. that it felt very uncomfortable. And, and then the other part you bring up is is the sense of community. And so 
you know, I think when we, when we think about creating places for people to live, we need to think about the community that's going to form there. And um, the city of Santa Fe and St. Elizabeth Shelter recently purchased uh, the Santa Fe Suites Hotel to turn into permanent supportive housing. And not everyone who lives there has been homeless, but a lot are. And, I, and so I think that's a good model because it, you know, it allows people to form a community there, perhaps with some of the same people they were homeless with, or, or a new community with people who, who are not, you know, who, who they don't know before. But you're right, community is very important, uh, especially someone who's struggling with, um, with their mental health. We, we're social creatures. We don't like to be by ourselves. And so having other people around that you can talk to is very important. We need to take a pause. I'm, I'm so moved by, by what you're sharing and the, and the um, models which you're talking about. Um, when we get back, I'd really like to focus on the relationship between homelessness and behavioral health. So we're going to take a pause. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Hank Hughes, Executive Director of the New Mexico Coalition to End Homelessness. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Hank Hughes, Executive Director of the New Mexico Coalition to End Homelessness and who also represents District 5 on the Santa Fe County Commission. And we've been talking about, before the break, we spoke about why homelessness is so widespread in the United States, what possible models there are um, to help homelessness uh, particularly even in Santa Fe. And, and you mentioned a couple of times, a number of times about behavioral health. What's the, what is the relationship between homelessness and behavioral health? Well, I think that's an, an important one. But, uh, and if I could just take a quick aside before we dive into that, most people who are homeless um, do not suffer from behavioral health issues, but they're also not homeless for very long. And so we don't tend to see those people um, when we look at our statistics, you know, there's thousands of people who are homeless for a short time and then get out of it quickly. Um, we, of course, need to help those people as well and provide more supports. But, but, but people who are able to work their way out of homelessness, you know, generally don't get stuck in it for very long. The people who get stuck are those with um, behavioral health issues. And I think, I mean, I thought about this a lot, and I don't know that I have a lot of science behind some of what I'm going to say, but but you know, people who suffer from physical disabilities often, if your brain is still working, you can still get a job. If your if your behavior is not abhorrent, you can usually live with your family members. Um, people with behavioral health issues often have a very hard time finding anyone willing to take them in, and they often are, you know, they can't work because they they just can't maintain the the. The mental fortitude or the or the strength of mind it would take to do any kind of job, um, and so they they really do need to be just sort of taken care of at least for a while. Um, now it's not always permanent. Uh, sometimes people get better, especially if it's um, a mental health issue that they were treating with substances like alcohol or heroin, 
and uh, through treatment they find more appropriate treatments for their for their illness that allow them to function in a much better way and then they can go on and and uh, find employment. Uh, we had an example of one man who uh, we thought we were going to not not we but one of our member agencies at the coalition they thought they were going to be housing him forever but he decided well I feel pretty good let's go to college and huh. I feel pretty good let's be an architect and I feel pretty good and let's get a job and so uh, it doesn't always end up being a permanent uh, a situation, but uh, it's a good example. The, the nice thing about permanent supportive housing, which I talked about before, is the word permanent means not that it's permanent like forever, but that it's, that it's as long as you need it. Right. And some people may need it forever. Other people may only need it for a short time. You mentioned those who – I really appreciate that answer and, and clarifying – in terms of how many people are homeless temporarily and move on and, and how behavioral health doesn't mean doesn't mean that all people who are homeless have mental health issues. But the fact that you mentioned that there are so many people who are homeless for a while and then are able to work their way out of it means that there's a, an economic and social challenge as well. And I wonder if we can look at those for a little while. If you're working to end homelessness... It, it kind of reminds me of the story of the person standing by the river and they see someone floating down the river and they rescue them. And then they see another person floating down the river and they rescue them. And they keep rescuing all these people who are floating down the river until they realize why is this happening? And they go up to they go upstream and they see the bridges out and people keep falling in. And so how do they stop rescuing people? It's by fixing the bridge. And so. So what's the what's the fixing of the bridge that needs to happen economically? And what's the fixing of the bridge that needs to happen socially? Because ending homelessness, you know, mean with the models that you're talking about, particularly permanent supportive housing, is grabbing people and holding them while they're drowning essentially in the river. But can we end it further upstream as well? So you know, let, let's start with economics a little. You know, what's, what is it that's driving people, that's forcing people into homelessness ultimately? Well, and I think, I think what, what's driving people into homelessness is poverty. And addressing poverty at the family level would really go a long way because that's where a lot of the adverse childhood experiences originate from, is from parents who are struggling um, with, to, to raise their children. The parents may be homeless themselves or they may have experienced homelessness uh, homelessness itself is going to be a very adverse childhood experience. You won't be able to get much done in school right. if you uh, don't know where you're going to sleep that night or what you're going to get to eat. And so, um, interestingly, um, the Food Depot here has put out a call for how to address hunger, and their answer is the same as mine. Let's address poverty. And the first thing that they would like to do is to raise the minimum wage ah. so that people... Because we do, we do live in a society where work is how we usually get by. And so let's make sure that everybody who works is not poor. Um, and then we can think about the other, you know, that, that would greatly eliminate a lot of what, what happens, especially with hunger and homelessness. And so I think raising the minimum wage uh, would be a great start. And then, you know, as I said before, increasing public housing for people who can't afford um, other housing. And that's going to become more and more important, I think, in the coming years as um, housing 
on the market has become so much more expensive, whether you're renting or trying to buy a house. Um, it's going up incredibly in Santa Fe, but you know, all over the country, it's getting more expensive. Since you mentioned the minimum wage, there are raising the minimum wage. There are obviously those who feel the opposite, which is that if you raise the minimum wage, they would say that um, you're forcing people out of jobs because companies can't afford as many people. How would you respond to that kind of economic claim? Well, I think the evidence is kind of uh, against that. When when Santa Fe raised the minimum wage to what they called a living wage at the time, uh, no jobs were lost. What actually happens is that people come from other areas to take jobs because um, because the jobs are more profitable and it makes it easier for businesses to find qualified good people uh, to work at those jobs. Um, I think the economy requires a certain number of jobs to function and we should pay people decently for those jobs. Um, I mean, now would be a perfect time. I mean, I don't think we, you almost don't even have to raise the minimum wage. It's raising itself because there's so much competition for uh, good employees right now. But at the same time, raising the minimum would bring some people up. And so when I asked about the, the, the bridge, I said economically and socially, what do you think we need to do socially to help people who risk homelessness or in particular, those who were homeless and are moving out of homelessness. I remember, you know, as rabbi of Temple Beth Shalom, the Envision Project, Envision Santa Fe, which came out of the Interfaith Leadership Alliance and from Temple Beth Shalom, you know, helped people who were homeless <coughs> and just moving out of homelessness to help them get their skills. Um, you know, some of them hadn't done budgeting before and things like that. And it was a way of, of training and, and helping people. What do you think we need socially as a society not just in terms of of, of struct infrastructure and not just in terms of economics, although I really appreciate you sharing the need to raise the minimum wage, but socially as a community, as a society, what do we need to do to help end homelessness? Well, I, I think that program you mentioned is a perfect example. Um, at the shelter, St. Elizabeth Shelter, when I worked there, we had uh, churches come in and cook dinner. We still do do that. And in fact, I still cook for St. Elizabeth Shelter. Uh, before COVID, we would also eat with the guests at the shelter. Um, the Interface Shelter does a similar thing. And so I think that encouraging people at all stages of their life to get involved in uh, helping people who've been homeless or people who are in poverty, uh, because you're right, it's, 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 um, it's having friends who are not in the same situation as you who can give you advice, you right. know, and mentoring and just be there to talk to does help people, you know, get out of that. And so, um, you know, faith communities have a great role to play because, you know, we join faith communities because we care about our community. And, and this is a great way to, to show how you care is to help the people who are, who are at the lower end of the economic spectrum. I remember I was sharing before the show with you about when uh, we helped youth works and we had some uh, young adults who were staying in various places of worship through a very harsh winter and they were sleeping on the floor of Temple Beth Shalom and the Unitarian Universalists and Christ Lutheran and Z United Methodist. And I, um, I, I was so moved uh, on the first evening 
when uh, one of the young kids, we were there and I brought board games. Um, and um, one of the young kids, we started playing board games and he just burst into tears. And I said to him, you know, why are you crying? Are you okay? And he said, nobody's actually spoken to me as a person. He said, I don't remember the last time that was. And and so when I hear what you're saying about mentoring and so on, just that story really resonated with me. Of As soon as somebody is homeless, we tend to look away. It's almost embarrassing. We don't engage in them on a social level. And they become sort of invisible people to us. And so they lose that 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 sense of self which can in turn lead to behavioral health issues as well so so for me i really appreciate you sharing that social aspect because i think it's so crucial yeah no i i think so too and there have been over the years many people and we're sort of told to keep our boundaries within this system but sometimes you just can't um, because people and so I've had several friends who've been homeless for years and years and i would just keep they would keep coming back to me and i would keep working with them, and I would say, okay, this didn't work, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this, and then finally they end up housed, you know, and sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, that the, this one worked, well, why did the last five not work? Right. <laughs> and this one worked, and you're, and so, um, yeah, I think, I think having that personal connection to people, and you can only, each of us can only do that with a few people, yeah. I mean, we only have the, the, the bandwidth and the capacity, and so the more people who are involved with that um, the better. And, and also, I think people always ask me, and I never know what to do to say exactly except for this, but people say, well, what do I do when I see a panhandler on the street? And the best advice I can give is, is I got this from someone else, is just make eye contact and say hello. Whether or not you're going to be able to give them anything, that's up to you. Um, but, but do treat them as a person because it is a person. You know, you said something, and I don't know if you even realize how important it was that what you said, because sometimes people who work with homeless people talk about clients. But you didn't say clients, you said friends. In the last minute, what does it mean to befriend someone who is homeless? What does it mean to be friendly to someone who's homeless? Well, it means treating them as you would treat any of your other friends, not any more or any less. It doesn't mean you're going to uh, like you know, have them sleep at your house or um, give them tons and tons of money, but it means you're going to engage with them on a friendly, personal level. And so that could be as much as, like I said, saying, hi, how are you? Sorry, I can't give you anything right now, to actually saying, you know, hey, let's sit, let's sit down. I know you're in a bad spot. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Do you want some advice? You know, how can I help you? Sort of thing. And so... Um, I mean, my wife always used to get a little worried. She doesn't anymore when I would adopt somebody. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you if you know, it's it's a little bit. It can be a little bit of a commitment. But mm -hmm. it's you know, you don't you you do have to set some boundaries for yourself as to how far you're going to go. But it doesn't mean you can't be um, friendly and nice to the person the way you would if your cousin or your aunt or your uncle or your nephew came and said, "Hey, I've got this big problem. Can you help me with it?" I, I so appreciate what you've shared today, and I so appreciate us ending on this note of seeing the humanity in someone who is homeless and being fully present for them, not as a client, a customer, anything like that, but as a, as a full human being. So thank you. Thank you to Hank Hughes, Executive Director of the New Mexico Coalition to End Homelessness. Thank you for coming in and sharing your thoughts this evening. Well, thank you, Rabbi Neil. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Soul Searching. 
with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.